Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Thank you for joining us this week. For the record, it is August 17th, 2018. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you once again. Uh, We had actually hoped to join you last week, but, well, as Providence would have it, I got sick to my stomach on Friday, and then three times, no, two time zones away, Rich, you got sick to your stomach. (laughs) the following day so we just kind of shut it, things down <laughs> i guess, I guess it, it took it those two time zones it took overnight to drift my <laughs> way but that was that was a bit odd and it just kind of lends into my way my wife teases me about the fact that you and i are separated by an entire country but it seems like we we kind of stay in tune with each other you get sick i get sick <laughs> something happens to you then it turns around and happens to me i just <laughs> It is a very bizarre, bizarre set of happenings when it comes to the two of us. But then again, that's no surprise to any of the folks that listen to us on a regular basis, I guess. But we do thank you for being with us. Uh, And those of you that saw the tweet that I put out last week, uh, letting you know we had a delay of a week because of uh, both of us getting ill, thank you for the prayers and thank you for the encouragement. We do appreciate it. We really want to be a bit more consistent about getting these programs out on a weekly basis. However, that can always be something of a challenge, and so uh, life will get in the way as often as it does, and we try, but thank you for being patient with us. Uh, thank you for joining us on this program. Again, uh, Once, as we say, you know, usually a couple times a month. If you're new to the program, let's just give you a quick uh, rundown of who we are. My name is Chris Honholtz. I am one of two hosts of this program. We don't have co-hosts. We have two hosts. Uh, I am I'm, uh, on the western side of the united states i live in northern nevada my good buddy and other host of the program richard story lives in mississippi where the bugs are big and the humidity will kill you uh, <laughs> and so we're, they may excuse me they've made themselves known today <laughs> i don't doubt it uh you know our side of the country's burning and you've got the mutant insects trying to devour you so <laughs> very strange set of circumstances we find ourselves in these days but um we are separated by two time zones neither of us are trained theologians we are just christians like everyone else that attends to listen to the show although some of you folks listen that you know found yourselves here by accident and you're wondering how on earth and what am i listening to so uh, but uh, most of you that listen to this program, I believe, probably hold to very similar views as we do. Uh, we are very conservative-minded Christians. We take the Bible literally, uh, cover to cover. We believe everything it says and everything it teaches, and we will discuss it in that context. Uh, if that's not for you, you're probably going to be very uncomfortable for the next hour. Uh, just letting you know ahead of time. <laughs> but, uh, we we love to get together on a weekly basis as often as the Lord will permit for this very reason, so that we can discuss what the Word of God says, we can discuss issues in uh, our modern culture, so that as Christians we're edifying one another, building each other up, prompting each other to go to the Word of God and use that as our primary focal lens on how we address issues and uh, problems in our day. You know, that simple fact is is that we do not want to approach Scripture with, well, this is my problem, and I'm going to filter Scripture through it, or this is my belief, and I'll filter Scripture through it. Rather, 
this is what Scripture says, and now as I approach life, how do I look at those issues with the lens of Scripture in view? So that's our intent. We always have two goals that we aim to, to do every single show. The first is glorify God. That is our primary purpose. Anything you do in your Christian life should always be for the purpose of glorifying your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's to build up the body of Christ. And we can only do that as much as the Lord gives us and allows us to and uh, does so through the study of His Word and our prayers. And your prayers also, we always appreciate. And so... We are not a primary source of edification. That is your local church. If you do not have a local church, turn this off and go find a church. Please. We are not your local church. Uh, go find a local church. Serve. Grow. Be under the leadership and discipline of your uh, of el uh, godly elders. And then, then, if you still feel like listening to us, please come back and listen. We are one of many, many, many podcasts out there, so we know that... Uh, you know your iPods, your cell phones, your iPhones, tablets, whatever it is you listen on. Uh, you, if you are spending time listening to us, you've made time, and we greatly appreciate that because there are many godly programs out there, many which we enjoy listening to and try to share with you from time to time. Uh, we do have a website called SlaveToTheKing.com. That is our primary source. If you want to learn about us, learn about the program, learn about things we've written, learn, find our social media links, you can all find it there, SlaveToTheKing.com. Voice of Reason Radio is on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us there as our Rich and Myself. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. So just with that introduction out of the way, we thank you for joining us. And Rich, how are you doing this week, my brother? Well, brother, like I always say, I'm better than I deserve. But I'd like to add one quick thing to your introduction. Sure. If you're, list if you're listening and you don't have a solid church and you're looking for one and you're having problems finding one please email us or hit one of us up through facebook or twitter we know you know through different associations we have knowledge of many many brothers and sisters across this country many of whom have compiled a list of solid churches in their state or their area so if you're looking for a solid church and you're having trouble finding one hit hit chris or myself up or email the show, and we will do all we can to help you find a solid Bible teaching church in your area. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, no, I'm with you, Rich. I'm better than I deserve. It's been a bit of a hectic week, and uh, I know you're a little bit uh, more versed on our subject for tonight than I am, so you're going to take lead on this. I usually chat more than Rich does, so Rich needs to have a turn once in a while at the mic. Um, <laughs> I'm usually the blabbermouth. But, uh, you know, so uh, he's going to take a little bit more of the lead tonight because he did do a little bit more uh, legwork on this one. And we're going to roll this into a we, – we continue this in a sense from our previous program, uh, but we want to – it's it's not a direct link to, to it, so to speak. It is um, kind of a, a split off from it. We, last time we were talking about issues of uh, you know women in the church, LGBT issues in the church. And we wanted to kind of continue from that, so we'll be co covering that tonight. Um, but Rich, you know, there's other things that are kind of something else I wanted to uh, just kind of give people a shout out about because we're seeing the rumblings happen already, and it actually plays into our program tonight, doesn't it? Oh yeah, most definitely because it's one of the what I call the ungodly trinities of the social justice movement, or the as some have coined it, the intersectionality yeah. of the social justice movement, because depending on your perspective, 
when you when people hear social justice, depending on whether they're a feminist, homosexual supporter, or one that John MacArthur that you're leading into addressed when it comes to racial reconciliation, all three crisscross in different aspects of the subject. Exactly. And if you're not sure what we're referring to, earlier this week, John MacArthur over at Grace TU wrote a blog, really, which would be, if you were reading a book, it, you would call it the introduction. I wrote a blog article with regard to social justice, and Rich, you and I have discussed this off and on in uh, the last couple months uh, from a variety of perspectives. And just for clarification, when we're talking about social justice, we're talking about the um, the kind of the socio-political paradigm that says that there are unfair issues in our society, issues of poverty, issues of race, uh, racial issues, sex issues uh, with regard to gender and stuff. And so therefore, because these inequalities occur, there's a, there's a need for the government specifically and the culture at large to be willing to elevate certain groups and denigrate other groups to level the playing field. So, uh, you know, in, in, um, it's kind of like socialism that said, or communism when it says, you know, everybody needs to have everything equal. And so the government's going to come in and, and take and redistribute. That's, you know, we see that with uh, issues of redistribution, redistribution of wealth, for example. Uh, that's, that's the political you know, a, a way of looking at some of those issues. Well, with regard to social justice, it has to do with inequalities where people find themselves uh, on the on the poor end of the socioeconomic scale. They find themselves uh, on the outer fringes of society because of their proclivity for less than acceptable behaviors with regards to gender or sexual issues, and uh, etc. So. Social justice, its its primary aim is to equalize that playing field and, and, and bring those marginalized people. And again, I'm speaking, trying as much as I can to represent this from their perspective. I'm not trying to be rude about it. And apologies if it comes across that way. But um, I, they, they, they seek to take marginalized people and pull them into the, the limelight and take the people who are sh the bright shining stars that are unfairly advantaged and shove them more to the shadows, kind of balance things out. So when he wrote an article with regard to social justice because it is becoming more of an, more of an issue in the Christian church. Uh, we certainly saw these issues happening out in the political field, uh, but now it's becoming adopted within the Christian church. And there are questions as to whether or not that is a biblical paradigm. And Rich, not long ago, we actually put an article out on the uh, you know, Slave to the King dot com website and we'll, li we'll link it in the show notes because we would we would argue from our perspective that social justice at least as that's being described and, and and practiced today is not a biblical paradigm and it actually contradicts biblical justice and i think uh john macarthur did a good job st starting that article off he really tried to make it clear he's not unfamiliar with the racial issues in this nation he's grown he grew up during a time, uh, during the civil rights era, he was a pastor and a preacher during those those years. He recalls those times vividly. He was on the uh, the receiving end of, of poor treatment from a, a, a southern sheriff who arrested him for having the gall to be going out with a black minister and and uh, you know preaching and, and evangelizing. Uh, so he 
understands that there have been severe issues throughout the course of American history involving racism and, and, and racial segregation, etc. So he's not operating in a vacuum like he's ignorant of these issues, and he, and he explains that in the article. And so uh, with all that as the backdrop, he, he ends it with a few paragraphs, kind of the setting the stage of where he sees social justice, as, especially as it's being described in practice, as not being consistent with biblical justice. And I think we will see several more articles coming out in the coming weeks from him that will clarify that position. And I think always with the pastoral tone, the loving and compassionate tone that John MacArthur has been known for over the years. And sadly, Rich, what we're already starting to see with an article that barely even scratched the surface of what he, he is going to say, we are already seeing people who are calling John MacArthur a ra uh, racist. Uh, one article or uh, one set of tweets associated him with the KKK, called him a kinist. And if you don't know what a kinist is, this is a person that believes uh, that there's theological reasons for the separation of races and you shall not intermix. Uh, th th this is a very racist belief system, and it is not biblical in any way. Yet there are those that uh, actually hold to it. But simply on the basis of one article, because it, it said social justice is not a biblical uh, precept, We've had people say his views are what is destroying the church, and they should be. If if his, uh, if Christianity ever has a hope of a future, they these backwards ideas need to be left in the past. It and all with just one article, Rich. One article. Well, brother, I'm going to be honest. Uh, you and I, like you said, you and I have followed these discussions over the last few months, but I am still yet to hear or be given a definitive answer from those on the you know within the social justice movement side as to what they hope to accomplish what is their end goal what do they want to see happen i can't find an answer to that question anywhere uh, other than you know what we discussed a few episodes ago with um tabidi demanding an apology from evangelicals well and i think and that's oh sorry go ahead i'm just going to say i don't know of any true brother or sister in christ that would ever deny that what happened to the black community you know in the during the 20th century none of them would deny you know they were yes they were mistreated yes there was a lot of injustice that took place but what do you hope to accomplish now with with the with the discussions or it's not even discussions anymore it's just flat out name calling and arguments I, I, I can't find anyone addressing you know what is it that you want to accomplish where are you wanting to go with this movement what do you want to see happen and it's like everyone's arguing over these subjects without any substance towards the the end you know what do you you know civil rights had a legitimate you know put out their goal they wanted yeah. equal rights for black minorities in this country to where you know everyone could vote you know they could have the same educational and job opportunities as other people's you know there was some clear stated goals that they wanted to obtain and they did i don't see that happening with this particular movement and it comes across to me like they're they're arguing for something 
that's already been obtained to a certain degree 50 years ago and a lot of the arguments that I see being cast out are arguments that should have been made back during the late 1960s and early 70s. Yeah. I think that's one of the big problems with regard to social justice movement is how do you determine when justice has been obtained? When we talk about issues of, for example, criminal justice, when a person is arrested, tried, convicted, and imprisoned for a crime that they committed, we say justice has been served. And when a person who clearly committed the crime but was let go on technicalities, we say it was an injustice. So there's, there's a determination, there's an objective determination of how you determine where, when justice has been met. Biblically speaking, God's justice is going to is meted out in one of two places. It's meted out on the sinner in hell for eternity on the day that they die and stand before him in, in judgment, or it is meted out on Christ at the cross on behalf of sinners. But yet justice is done. The righteous punishment of God is either poured out on the sinner or on Christ on in behalf of the sinner. So it's one of those two paradigms, or one of those two uh, satisfactions. How do we determine when social justice has been uh, uh, satisfied? And I think that's the problem. I don't think there's an actual manner in which you can objectively determine we've, we've, we've equalized the playing field because, and I tried to make the argument in our article, it's a subjective issue. Today... If I, you know, if if I'm a person that I believes that I've been, and I know as a white male Christian, I probably can't make this claim. So I'm saying this as a generic uh, myself uh, to apply it to whatever status you want to give it. If I claim a certain victimhood, and I say that I've been uh, unjustly treated societally, and my expectation is X Y Z be done, so that I feel that justice has been meted out, that's going to differ from person to person to person. And so one of the reasons, Rich, I think we see that is that I don't think you can have a clear objective goal because once you meet that objective goal and you say justice has been satisfied, that's the end of the movement. And I think there are some noble intentions there because there, I think any reasonable Christian would say while we do not see institutionalized racism as it was practiced pre-civil rights era, we would be dumb, in my opinion, to believe that racism, sexism, and other issues are still not ongoing. It, of course they exist. And as a Christian, I should want to see those dealt with, but I want to see them dealt with in a biblical manner. I want people to repent of sin, and I want them to come to Christ and make amends toward those whom they've sinned against. That's that's how that I, as a Christian, should want to see that done. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here for just a second. I think one of the one of the aspects of this that is not being discussed is I think there's been a shift in racism across this country during the civil rights era. The South was the focus of where the racism was taking mm -hmm. place. I think in today's world that has shifted to the you know the huge cities like New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit. I think the 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 discussion is not okay, everyone in this country is a racist or every minority in this country has been, you know, targeted. 
it's okay where in this country has this taken place i live in the middle of mississippi which is in the middle of the deep south and i have friends and associates and acquaintances of every ethnic background that you can imagine i don't hear any of them talking about the fact that they've been racially profiled or that they were pulled over just because they were in a different part of town yeah i think i think the focus really should be where it needs to be is in these bigger cities and the inner city settings and you know places that we see and hear about on television where you know violence has erupted i i think people don't realize at least when it comes to the south that yes i'm sure there's still there's still racism that takes place but it's not like you see on national television or you know mainstream media i just think that's an important aspect that should be pointed out that not every place spot community in this country is fighting back and forth black versus white black versus latino latino versus white that's not going on in every little community in this country yeah and i think one of the problems with social justice is it it does paint a very broad brush as as if this is happening with every person in every neighborhood in every business in every uh, aspect of the uh, of the culture and it tends to have a one-size-fits-all when it does present a solution, a one-size-fits-all um, you know, way of addressing it. Uh, some of the more prominent voices that, you know, if you pay attention to the arguments on social media, are even starting to call for, and have been for a little while now, calling for financial reparations. They're saying, well, the government did this and this and this, and they've benefited because of those evil things, and the people that they did it to, well, they didn't benefit, and so therefore there needs to be reparations. And people have pointed out, you know, you're you're saying that every white, you know, uh, person in America needs to be paying for this, and they're saying, no, we're not. We're saying the government is. Uh, well, that's kind of a distinction—a you know, distinction without a difference, because the government is made up of the people. You're saying that the—it's a representative government. You're saying it's an—it's a—you uh, know, according to—I um, just lost my train of thought. Please forgive me, folks. <laughs> uh, according to critical race theory, the idea is that this government has been established because of white uh, privilege. It extends uh, privilege to all white people, and so therefore, where's the money coming from? Well, it's going to have to come from those evil white people. I mean, there, there are people who are talking this way. Even this week, I've seen it, and I and shared even with you on Twitter. Brother, the thing is, though, that is not a new argument. That no, it's originated. Been for a long time. Yeah, that, that originated at the end of the Civil Rights Movement. And even at that point in time in history, blacks, whites, you name it, were for and against it. And for some reason, 50 years later, it has circled back around and is starting to pop up again but for the sake of argument say that they are right say the government does owe reparations to african americans living in this country okay who decides how much should each person get who decides where the money goes how is it redistributed you know there there's a lot of logistical questions that's never been asked or addressed i really think that those calling for such things or making an emotional appeal to yes. try to get people arguing and to get them riled up and at each other's throats for what end I don't know but I don't think anyone calling for it actually expects something like that to ever occur 
Well, and I like what Daryl Harrison over at Just Thinking said. I can't remember if it was last week's show or this week's, but he was talking to Virgil Walker, and he said that the sad part about it is that it's they're saying that the you know we are a, we can attach a dollar value to a human life. That the the way you can solve these issues is by attaching a dollar value to a human life, and that's very tragic, in my opinion. That that's how we view this issue is that it's it's a solvable issue by paying money. It, it, to me, that's insulting. That's that's bribery, in my opinion. Now, well, I, we're getting I'll a bit off track because we do have a program we still need to do. Well, we we may have to shelve that program back a week because we we done got into this one now pretty deep and we're about halfway through the show. But to kind of add on what you just said, not even just life, but people's emotions, their experiences. You know what what dollar value can you put on? Say, I'll take myself for and I'll use myself as an example. You know, I, people that listen to the show regularly and know us know that you know I was in a car accident about 12 years ago that's left me disabled and I have to use a wheelchair to get around. Okay, what dollar value can I put on the time that I've lost with my children being able to get out, run, play, you know, the way it's made me feel? What dollar value could I put on that that would ever make me feel better or regain what I possibly could have lost? Well, you know, and let, let's take that issue. Okay, let, let's, let's, let's go back to the issue of of financial reparation rich in your situation we can say there was certain losses because of your injury that you're financially impacted by so you know when you were in your accident and you weren't able to work anymore let's just say that that accident if somebody else did that to you and we see these things all the time that person deprives you of your livelihood. And so their, their damage to you can be meted out by looking at, well, this is what I was making. This is what I would have made over the course of several years. This is what I can no longer do. Here are my medical expenses. Here, There's a way we can calculate what that damage done to you can come out to. It does not regain the emotional trauma. It does not regain your ability to, to function as you once did, but it helps deal with the issue that was put upon you. So we can do that to an extent. The problem becomes when you have a more nebulous anecdotal issue. And, I'm not, and I do not mean to in any way denigrate when I say that. There are people that will come forward and they will say, I was treated this way because of my race. I was spoken to in this way because of my race. I was denied this job because of my sex. And, then, and it, it can even be demonstrable. We don't want to denigrate that in any way. But it'll, uh, it'll be assumed that we are because of where we're going. So my apologies in advance. Um, but I'll just throw this in real quick. I have experienced everything that you just said, but go on. <laughs> So, with that in mind, when you have a more nebulous issue, like, let's go back to the racial reconciliation issue, the critical race theory argument, that there are people who are of minority ethnic background who have been marginalized in some capacity 
And we we would acknowledge that there are times that happens. We're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna stick our heads in the sand and pretend it doesn't. Of course it does. We're in a fallen world. Of course it does. But you have this marginalization that is maybe not as demonstrable as what you went through, Rich, with all the medical issues and the inability to work, etc. How do you attach a dollar value to that? How do you say, here's how we can itemize this? And that's my concern, Rich, is that there are people... And folks, the reason we started with this argument was Nate Pickowitz, our good friend, pastor over in New England, said something that I think was so poignant with regard to this issue. So we've launched into a topic we really wasn't our intended direction, but we're kind of running with it now. (laughs) Big surprise. Rabbit. (laughs) Oh, shiny object. Squirrel. Okay, so (laughs) it happens, folks. If you're new to the show, this happens. Um, But he said something that was so poignant that with these articles coming out and by the way is from what i understand if you are not a follower of striving for eternity's podcast please do so sunday's podcast uh, according to andrew rapaport is going to have some fairly significant information about a formal statement that's coming out with regards to uh social justice and it'll be from folks like josh bice josh bice is kind of the head of the g g3 conference yeah that josh bice he has been very vocal in his opposition to social justice being imported into the church and he's done it respectfully and biblically but he's been very vocal if you follow him on twitter i've seen a lot of his stuff please if you you don't know who josh bice is last name b-u-i-c-e and first name josh find him on twitter follow some of his stuff Good, uh, good, godly man. He has had some things to say. I guess he's uh, part of what this announcement coming out, uh, Striving for Eternity, will be doing on this Sunday, which will be the 19th of August, 2018. Striving for Eternity. Go check that out. Um, there are a lot of names, godly men that you, you will have a lot of respect for that are stepping up. They've had time. They've allowed these arguments to go forward. They've had time to process it, pray about it, get to the Bible about it. At Phil Johnson, I think, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Todd Friel over at Wretched Radio has talked to the, him about it a few times on their Two Wretched for Radio podcast that they do once a week. Uh, it's the one that doesn't go to radio because they name names and they say things that radio people would kick them off the air for. Uh, but uh, that's been, uh, that issue's come up, including, Rich, you know, we've talked about Tabidi Anyabwile. And Phil Johnson respectfully addresses some of those issues and still calls Tabidi a brother in Christ, still has a lot of love and respect for him, and has said, give some of these things time because some of these are our arguments are not easily solvable issues. We've got to work through them. So I think we're about to see that come up, and I think John MacArthur's article was an introduction to what we are about to see unfold. But the problem, Rich was the reactions, as we were talking about when we kind of diverted our topic here, was the whole idea of, you know, the first response I saw, and I wish I could remember the name. Eh, actually, I don't want to remember the name. I don't want to give him more press than he needs. But, I think I know who you're, yeah. who you're referring to. But he, his statement was, and I'm tr- I, I, I know I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think I have the, this down fairly close, was that what MacArthur said was ignorant, it is backward thinking, it is damaging to Christianity, and it needs to remain in the past. 
Okay, so that's a summary and that's a paraphrase. It's not the exact quote, so please don't say that I was exactly quoting him, but it needs to remain in the past. Rich, we've heard about that. We've heard that kind of subject. This, the, the topic we intended tonight was the issue of queer theology, and we've seen from the LGBTQ crowd this attempt to monopolize the conversation. There is no conversation. It's, it, you know, it's what Dr. James White often says. They don't want a dialogue. They want a monologue. And what we've seen in that, in those efforts, especially as it applies to the church, is if you say anything that is contradictory to LGBTQ dogma, you are a dinosaur. You're a thing of the past. You need to stay in the past and go away. And when you hear somebody say what John MacArthur said, which, by the way, was not that in-depth yet, his thinking needs to remain in the past, which I think we're seeing the folks who are that, that are being extremely opposed to these, these statements that are about to come out, I think they want to shut this down. They don't want a dialogue. They don't want a conversation. They want to control the narrative. I, I agree with you, brother. Um, one aspect of this that I can ag agree with everyone on is that each person's experience will dictate their views mm -hmm. on race relations. Yeah. My, my experiences growing up in the Deep South will be greatly different than yours. You know, I, f I forget, did you grow up in Nevada? I, I've spent most of my adult or my, most of my life, uh, junior high up through college and now adulthood here. So in excess of 30 years, uh, my first 14 okay. so years or 13, 14 years were in various locations. I lived in Southern Indiana, Southern California, and then here. Well, I grew up in the South. My, until I was at least early twenties, I lived my life in the state of Alabama from one end of the state to the other end of the state. In the early 70s, I was where I, I was born in Montgomery. And in the early, from my birth up until late 70s, I lived not far from Tuskegee, Alabama. I grew up in Macon County, Alabama. And when people go to discussing and talking about race relations, in my lifetime, from what I've seen myself, in, in my neck of the woods, it has vastly changed for the better i can remember growing up and you know some of these stigmas and some of these arguments that you hear i could see where it was applied in certain situations but now at my age now still living in the deep south except now i live in central mississippi i see the other end of the spectrum happening where um you know f friends and marriages and churches you know are basically colorblind in this area and that's why i think sometimes i have a hard maybe a hard time processing some of what the social justice crowd is screaming and demanding because what i see okay you know they you know it's here you know I, I, people get along there's no fussing and fighting you're not you're not seeing people lynched up you're not seeing every you know, person of some type of color being pulled over and harassed by the police. You don't see it. I mean, I, and I don't, I can't, I'm not trying to oversimplify it mm -hmm. or to, or to downgrade what some people's experiences might be. But, you know, as an overall comment, I think people tend to view 
these subjects through the lens of their own emotions, their own experiences, without realizing it's not a, like you said, a broad brush stroke that applies to everyone. And the, the, the main point, I think, of all of this should be that within certain circles, within certain groups of the social justice crowd, what they're saying and claiming is not the problem. The problem is they're trying to redefine biblical repentance. And I think that is the key of the, to the heart of the issue and why you know, it is such an important issue when it comes to church and Christianity is because when you try to redefine what the Bible always already says something is, that's when we're in trouble. Absolutely. And the thing is, is Rich, you absolutely nailed that. With regard to this issue and other issues that we did, we that fall under the umbrella of social justice, everyone has an experience. I grew up fairly poor. I remember, you know, getting dried, you know, milk in the box. I remember the government cheese. I remember those things. You know, my parents makes two of us. <laughs> my my parents were divorced. I lived in Southern Indiana. We did not live in you know, in a lap of luxury. So today, my circumstances are very different. I live in a very different environment. I'm able to make ends meet as a single income uh, family. You know, I I'm able to provide for my family. I, I you know I'm able to put you know put a roof over our head. It's in fairly decent condition it's not running down it's not on government assistance it's none of those things so my experience even changes depending on where i'm at in my life so everybody's circumstance everybody's experience everybody's context is going to color how we see this and so i in, in talking with this issue with a brother you know, just messaging one another, which I would encourage we do more of rather than the public excoriating we so often do. Um, his area, the kind of white supremacist attitude is very predominant. In your area, Rich, you're still in the South. It's an area where it's been known for it, but you're not seeing it as, uh, as, as uh, much as this brother has been seeing it. I don't see it much at all because I live in a very rural, uh, outlying area in northern Nevada. And most of the area people that I live around are fairly close in melanin count. So and it's, it's not an issue that we're dealing with. And so everybody's going to view this issue differently. And the problem is, is the one-size-fits-all mentality. And this is something that happens on both sides, by the way. The reason I, I brought up our brother Nate Pickowitz is he says something very, very poignant, which is there are brothers and sisters in Christ on both sides of this dis uh, discussion. There are people on both sides of the discussion that may or may not be brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet each one of them is made in the image and likeness of God. So when we're talking to one another... We need to take that into account, and we need to not be, even if we are those who are trying to uphold biblical definitions, we need to not be those people who are beating each other, folk, uh, beating folks up with our Bibles in our hands and smacking them around and black, giving them black eyes. That's not right. And so I agree with uh, Brother Nate, that ought not to be happening. If you start doing that, shame on you. If, if I start doing it, somebody smack me around a little bit because I shouldn't be. Um, 
we are to always share the truth of God's word in love. Yes, that means standing firm. Yes, that means not giving ground when uh, when it's an issue of of, of uh, intense orth- orthodoxy. We we d- but we can do that without being jerks for Jesus. And so that that was I think the point he was trying to make. And some others I think other pastors, as we saw with Pastor MacArthur's article, I think that's the intent is to approach this in a godly manner. But Rich, you're right. The problem is is so much of this is a is is viewed through a lens of personal experience and that's the problem i think social justice has is it always comes back to personal experience how do we evaluate personal experience it's my experience you can't tell me my experience is invalid well your experience isn't my experience and so your experience doesn't hold any validity that's that's what happens in these discussions and so I think the main issue must always be is not our experience, but what does the Word of God say? And my wife and I were having this discussion uh, yesterday or today. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it all blends into it's all becoming one blur. Rich, I have teenagers these days. <laughs> I'm lucky. I, I'm lucky I remember my name. So it's at 44 years old. I have a, one who's 14 years old and one who's going to be 13 at the end of this month. And I, I just blinked. It's in. I don't know what's happened anymore. I have no memory of anything. Well, so. well you're entering the real parenting stage. Oh. Up until up until this point, it's not been too bad. <laughs> you know, it's a lot easier to change diapers and put a, ban- a bandaid on a bobo on a knee than it is to deal with a 14 year old. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, when when you spend your year, nearly 20 years of your life in law enforcement, and the people you deal with act like children, and then your teenage, then you have these teenagers who come into your life that are acting. And talking the same way the grown adults you have to deal with every day are, you start to lose your mind. So, <laughs> because you can't respond the same way. <laughs> it's, it's not a good thing. So, and, all right, sidetrack. Sorry, squirrel. Anyway, getting back to this. Uh, one of the things that we, we were talking about is what does the scripture say about our identity? Our, it was today because we were listening to this week's just thinking that's what it was we were on our way to town today and we were listening to daryl and virgil talking about this week's just thinking and it was an issue uh, their their topic of uh identity crisis and it had to do with how the author of a certain article her identity of who she was and the victimhood statuses that she listed of you know her minority status, her uh, her gender status, and all these other victim statuses were the first things she listed in her article, and then she goes on to talk about how she doesn't feel like she has a home in the church anymore because there were so many white evangelicals who voted for Trump. That was that was the the crux of the discussion, and so we were talking about how uh, how do we, as professing Christians, identify ourselves? Is it by my gender? Is it by my ethnicity? Is it by my uh, my type of employment, none of those things. What does the scripture say? There's neither Jew nor Greek, ethnicity. There's no neither male nor female, gender. There's neither slave nor free. So, you, you're, you, today, the closest we could identify that would be like employment, maybe, because we're not talking, you know, when the, oftentimes when we talked about bond servants or slaves in the scriptures, it was those who were had entered into slavery as a means of self-preservation and employment because the Bible often said you uh, man stealing man selling bad sin can't do that so quit trying to use the bible to say the bible endorses slavery of that way it doesn't um anyway sidetrack um but so these were you know your status in life you know 
poor, rich, etc. The Bible does not identify us in that manner. Our identity, what does Paul say? You're either in Christ or you're, you're in Adam. That's our identity. We're in Christ or in Adam. And so those who try to say, for example, well, it says there's no, neither male nor female. That's why women can be pastors. Wrong. That's not what that context of that discussion is. It's our identity. Who are we? We are in Christ. And so the problem with so much of the, the social justice movement and the discussion is its primary issue is your identity before Christ. That's one of the discussions we were talking about tonight with the cold queer theology, and we touched, touched on it last time with people who feel the need to identify themselves by their sexuality. I am a gay Christian. I am a lesbian Christian. I am an LBGTQ Christian. It's this identity that is not found in Scripture. And so when we have these issues, the first thing we should always be looking at, in my opinion, is that we look to what does the Bible identify us as. You know, the Bible even, you know, in, in Paul's writings would even say, hey, are you, are you uh, a slave? Don't seek to free yourself. In other words, how you were, when you were saved... If you were a slave, was the primary concern as a Christian for you to become free? No. Your primary concern was to serve Christ wherever you were. That's why the Bible has commands to slaves to be good servants to their masters, even if they were unfairly treated and beaten for something they didn't do. The issue was... But that, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but that statement alone is counter... To what the culture teaches. Exactly. It's counter to what even those within the church walls, they have basically fell into that false dichotomy that, you know, anything bad that's happened to you, you know, it's not your fault. Somebody is to blame. Yeah. It's that victim mentality. And when you impose a victim mentality on a person, the, the blame and everything shifts from the person to something or to uh, to someone or something else. Yeah. And the biggest danger, well, one of the biggest dangers besides redefining um, repentance and several other theological issues, the danger is, just like we've seen within the abortion, anti-abortion movement, I see some of these brothers falling into idolatry because the cause is becoming more important to mm -hmm. them than Christ. Absolutely. And whenever whenever that happens, you're headed off the narrow path and into a broad road with many, many side side streets. And that is the problem and something that on both sides can be guilty of. If you're letting the cause become more important to you than the biblical truth and the biblical theology and what Christ teaches us and what we learn from the rest of the New Testament, when that becomes your idol, you're in trouble. Absolutely. And Rich, lest anybody think we're picking on one side here, you and I have done numerous shows over two years where we have criticized the American Evangelical Church for being its identity being conservative political, uh, political conservative. We have far too often identified ourselves as Republicans or conservatives, etc. That's a big problem. 
within American evangelicalism because we respond so often to issues. I mean, I've seen it just this week, it, within the last month, with issues over illegal immigration, s comments that, uh, from professing Christians who share articles that are not exactly kind with regard to this issue. And it's like they, they share it as being no big deal. This is right. This is what you know Trump has to do, etc. Um, who have been, because of being fed up with the liberals and progressives, have made disparaging comments about people created in the image and likeness of Christ. It's not right. We should not do it. And why are we doing that? Because our identity, according to us, is, well, I'm an, I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'm a libertarian. I'm, I'm whatever I am. And rather than saying, I'm a Christian first, and that Christian identity informs my political thinking. Rather, we're saying our political identity informs our Christianity. And that's wrong. It's just as wrong as someone who takes a social justice mindset and uses that as the lens by which to say, I'm this Christian or that Christian. I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm this victimhood Christian. I'm that victimhood Christian. It's just as wrong. And so the encouragement, I think, if anything, Rich, you and I can be trying to convey to people right now is this is going to be, this could have has the very big potential of being a massive slugfest. I mean, bad. I, it's an important issue. This needs to be addressed. You and I have been talking about it. I know others have been talking about it. This must be addressed. This is an infiltration, in my opinion, by a an atheistic, humanistic, philosophical system that is trying to infiltrate the church. And it's being used to define something as being a gospel issue because there are aspects of that, of these social injustices that do have their roots in sins. And so since the Bible says you are to repent of sin and they are using that as the grounds by which to move this further into the church. And you know, going back to the issue of uh, of repentance, which you know and, and what we talked about earlier, well how do they define you know how what's the end goal? There is, I wish I could remember the name. There was an individual who was in, amongst some of the discussions this week who literally said, reparations equal repentance. Repentance equals salvation. Without reparations, you do not have salvation. And he got called on it big time. And he backpedaled back and forth and sideways many different directions. But it was, the, he was equating the only way I can be sure that the church is actually preaching a gospel of salvation is if you're preaching rep reparations. That's unbiblical. That is unbiblical. That is salvation by works. And it was... I it think... Was, I, I was just going to say, I think it extends even beyond salvation by works because you're, you're they're basing salvation not only on what someone says and does, but basically their mindset and their basically their own personal view on this on the subject well i mean what what are the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness self-control 
I don't see reparations as a fruit of the spirit. I, I don't. I don't see it. And so I don't see demanding reparations as fruit of the it, spirit. Uh, exactly. It has more to do with the works of the flesh than the works of the spirit. So, all this is to say, uh, you know, an hour later, we never intended to get into this topic. Um, all this is to say is that this has the potential for being a very ugly conversation. And as Christians, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but. My mind is full. Um, my brain is like Swiss cheese. It's got all kinds of little holes and <laughs> ideas and, and thoughts and questions will fall out if I, if I don't jump on it. But with that comment, what you just said, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think this is something that really impacts the majority of small community local churches? Or do you think this is more of an issue that you know more well-known theologians and pastors are dealing with or do you think this is more broad than than just that top shelf type of i i think this has the potential to affect the church at every level because what 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 is one of the things you and i've talked about for two years now and that's postmodernism. how um all truth is valid truth that that has impacted every level of the church why because it's impacted uh, an entire culture's thinking and it gets imported into the church. Social justice, thanks to eight years of activism by under the previous president, has become synonymous with tolerance, with love, with kindness. It, it's become part of the language of our culture. And it's also become part of the entertainment oh, yes. of our culture. Absolutely. Um, what was that Anne Hathaway said that um, every black in this country fears for their life daily? Yeah, and and, and I she, heard the exact. I heard almost the exact same phrasing on a predominantly black superhero show not more than two weeks ago. And the the funny thing is, is that there are many black men and women who would utterly disagree with that. But they I know one myself. Yeah, and, and and they and they've said so, but they get ignored, um, and they get blasted for talking white. They get you know called Uncle Tom's and everything. Ask Daryl Harrison, uh, Daryl Harrison, whatever he what he gets called on a regular basis. Every and that's time because he's, he's he's a conservative Christian. Yeah, but and but you know, basically, if you're a conservative Christian, that means you know automatically. You're anti this or anti that. Exactly, and so uh, to to answer your question, I I think every Christian needs to become at least aware of this discussion because there are aspects of the social justice movement that draw upon actual truths. They talk about racism. Racism occurs. They talk about poverty. Poverty is present. They talk about sexism and and, and, and bigotry. All those things occur. But their answers are not biblical answers. Their answers are humanist, atheistic, Marxist answers. And they are couched in Christian language. Pastors need to pay attention to the discussion that's about to take place, even though it's going to be migraine-inducing. Because these conversations will end up in your church. They're going to end up in your board meetings. Well, what are we doing to help 
the black community or what are we doing to help the uh, impoverished community because those are considered issues of justice pastor why aren't we why don't we have an outreach for lgbtq people how come we don't have an outreach uh for women why are not more women in uh empowered in your our church these are going to be occurring at churches at every level because it has become part of the national conversation Go ahead, Rich. Oh, I was just listening. You probably heard me swatting a net. Oh, okay. So it's it has the, the uh, potential to impact churches at every level. This is not just highfalutin theology. This is being impacted. And people that we love are being impacted by this thinking. And, and brethren, I will say this much. As much as we want to defend sound orthodoxy we need to remember as pastor macarthur pointed out in his article this country has not always had the best history on these issues we love to kind of paint a 1950s pie in the sky leave it to beaver my three sons mentality of what what life once looked like but in the 1950s not everybody lived that way and there are a lot of people that were were did not live you know middle class lives that where everything was solved in a half hour setting. Sorry, Rich, what <laughs> were you gonna say? Well I was just gonna ask and I may have missed it somewhere along the line. If I have, please correct me. But when it comes to the racial reconciliation aspect of social justice, why is it the only thing you hear talked about is black versus white? Why is there no discussions going on about other ethnic groups within this country that are being mistreated now perhaps that definitely have been mistreated at some point in the 200 years of this country 200 plus years of this country's founding yeah you know you wouldn't have to think very hard you could name at least a half a dozen ethnic groups or you know whatever label you want to put on it that at some point in time in this country's history have been abused in some way form or fashion yeah and that is one of the more valid questions being asked out there and unfortunately those in the social justice movement don't typically answer that question they tend to see that as a an attempt to diffuse their arguments or to obfuscate their issue and so they just it tends to be rather dismissed from what i can tell i i've yet to see a real a really reasonable answer on that one um, well, do you think all this has grown out of the Black Lives Matter movement? I think a lot of that has helped give it legs. I, I think I think you go back to election day when President Barack Obama won the election. And I think this is when a lot of this got legs. It and it grew under eight years of his administration, making because if you criticized what he said, you were seen as a racist. So he had been given a lot of free reign to say things that either weren't true, were mischaracterized, or when exposed to be false, just dismissed. You know, and, and his assertion still touted his gospel. And so that's where a lot of that, I believe, got its legs. And it was propped up by the media, and it was propped up by a lot of progressive politicians. And anyone with a dissenting voice was basically dismissed as having no no virtue to bring to the to the conversation 
So I, I, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. But that being said, I mean, this again, it's not that these things haven't occurred. Have there been you know folks in the black community who have been mistreated by law enforcement? Yes, that's documentable. Have there been uh, you know within the private sector people who have denied jobs to others based on their ethnicity? Yes, that's documentable. It's there. And as Christians, our primary job is what? Go forth and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey Jesus Christ and all that he has said and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is that our primary job? Because when we bring someone to the foot of the cross and God regenerates their heart and gives them a new heart and, 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 and endows them with his Holy Spirit, they are a new creation. We preach against the sin that is called that is identified as sin in Scripture. We preach repentance. We preach faith. We make disciples. We teach them to obey all that God has commanded, and we send them forth to make more disciples. That's our job. And some people are saying that's not enough. It's not enough because and it doesn't address this issue, that issue, this issue. And when you say preach the gospel, what you're saying is let racism reign. No, we're not. We're saying that the only thing, the absolutely only thing that changes a wicked heart that has hatred towards another person for their status in life, for their uh, color of their skin, for, because of their gender, the only thing that changes that is Jesus Christ crucified. That's what changes it. No amount of reparations can make a hater a lover. It can't. And I can promise you this, the more divisive you make the issue, the more you will drive the person who maybe had a hint of these uh, sins in his heart, you will drive that person into full-fledged hatred. Why? Because you're putting what upon him? Law. What did Paul say? I didn't have a problem with coveting until the law said don't covet. And then my the sin, which was dead in my heart, came alive and seized the opportunity. As soon as you say, don't touch the wet paint, what do we all want to do? Touch the wet paint. Don't walk on the grass. Guess what? I'm putting my foot on the grass. Don't look down. Wow, I shouldn't have looked down. You know, that's what the human heart does. And unfortunately, Rich, what we're seeing is the answer to these issues is more law. And we're not seeing the grace of God being poured out through the gospel, through the conversion of hearts. Why? Because they don't want that as an answer. They want more law which will create more sin. And that's, I think, the problem. Ah, anyway, completely side-railed our conversation. <laughs> well, we, we spent the last hour doing our um, normal, what, eight-minute pre-show discussion. So now, settle back and enjoy another hour of the actual <laughs> show. <laughs> I think we'll get people mad at us if we do that. So anyway, that was that was really meant to be like five minutes to just get to prep people for what's about to come. And Rich, we just kind of ran with it, which sometimes it's fun to chase that squirrel. But um, folks, it, it really is brewing up to be a battle. Please, 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 please resist the temptation to fight. Pastor Nate Pickowitz is right on the money. These are these in some cases are brothers and sisters from Christ. In other cases, just flat out image bearers. And we ought not respond with animosity yes we can stand firm in the truth 
but we don't need to be cr you know crass and mean and and jerks for Jesus please if if you, it, it might even behoove you as hard as it can be to finger tape you know to duct tape your fingers away from your uh, phone that might be you know I, I have to resist because I want this look this is a subject I'm very becoming very passionate about because I'm watching what's happening and I know there are biblical answers to this that do not involve the social justice movement and I I, I want to answer like everything I see and I have to be very careful because I, I want to get into arguments and I can't that's not right then there's then there's some of us that I try to ask what we feel is a legitimate question and instead of getting answers them. we get pounced and called names and all so, that nice stuff exactly so th this is this has the it's already brewing the fight is already beginning and i and i honestly believe this and I, i'm not trying to be de uh, um, derogatory i honestly believe that when pastor macarthur put out his introductory article the reason it got the uh, absolute animosity that it got was that when someone like Pastor MacArthur steps up to the mic to speak on an issue where there has been little resistance, it's like, hey, I've got smooth sailing. This is going great. Oh, no, here comes a storm. You know, we, we, have, we have seen high-profile evangelicals, guys like Matt Chandler, guys like um, David Platt and others, jumping on board with this. Folks like uh, uh, Russell Moore, ERLC, and others jumping on board to the social justice movement and adopting it as a platform of the church. That was very smooth sailing. That yeah, is what about bothers to end, me and about, I think they know it. What bothers me about that is the motivation behind it. And you and I both know if John MacArthur had got in line with the rest of these gentlemen that you named mm -hmm. and said the same things they said, there would have been a few accolades pat on the back to Pastor MacArthur, and it would have been nothing else said. Exactly. So I, I honestly believe they re they recognized this is kind of that, this, that red sky in the morning. You, you know there's something coming, and they, didn't, they don't want it. They want it shut down. And they don't. They don't. They want the smooth sailing that they've received thus far, and the acceptance they received thus far, not to to encounter troubled waters. I honestly believe that. I think that's why an article that was so pastoral, that was so respectful, that simply said, "This is an introduction to what I have a genuine concern about," and 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 that was it. That was what that article was. It was important, but it was it was it was that was the context. To get that kind of reaction, to be called a and racist, it was a, a Klansman, and a kinist, the whole nine yards, it, it was wrong. And it was a very, it was a very short article. Yes, it, it was not. This was not an in-depth treatise. This was not an assault. This, the, you know, it, it wasn't even a warning shot across the bow. It was just simply here is the perspective of a godly pastor, and they recognized what that represented. I think they see it as a threat and they want to shut the conversation down. That's why if you come up and, and, and you, for example, when it, with the LGBT issues, if you voice a biblical uh, stance in the, uh, in the culture today, 
you will be attacked. I mean, utterly gutted like a fish for holding to the Bible. And that was what happened here. And that's because they don't, those folks that gut you like a fish for the LGBT issues don't want a dialogue. They want a monologue. And I think that's what's about to happen here. And so we're cautioning people, be prepared, pay attention, be aware of the issues, inform yourself, inform yourself biblically, understand the arguments that are coming, be willing to engage respectfully if you're going to engage at all. But this is important because it's about it's about to get ugly and it's an important and, issue in the church right now i don't say this flippantly and i don't mean it necessarily as a joke but for your own sanity you may want to spend less time on twitter over the yep. next couple of months probably not a bad idea wade in shallows don't get too far out into the the <laughs> riptide you might get taken out into out to sea you know just be cautious uh, be aware but be cautious so um so folks, sorry again that we kind of we chased the rabbit down the trail, but we it was I think that's a good conversation, Rich. I'm kind of glad we could, we did go down this way. Um, but we always want we always look forward to your input. We thank you. Uh, anytime you have questions, comments, concerns, feel free to contact us again. Go to slavetothekeng.com. You can reach us through there. You can always email us directly, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Uh, want to remind you when you hear us uh, say something that perks your ears up a little bit. Please let us know. Somebody brought something to our attention from the last show. Um, Rich, you and I are not familiar at all with the eternal functional subordination argument. I mean, it's nothing we've ever gotten into before. Uh, not an issue of even. I remember it was a there was a big dust up two years ago. That's what I remember. And so when I was making my uh, statements about uh, seeing submission in the Trinity, which the term for what I was trying to describe is the economic trinity, how we see the Father or the Son submit to the Father and the, and the Spirit submit to the Son and the Father in terms of salvation. We see that there's that, there's that submission that goes on. But they are, the trinity is, each person of the trinity is God. There's no communication from one to the next that makes that 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 person God. They they are, in, they are three distinct independent persons, yet one God, and always has been. And yet, in my efforts to describe that, I waded right into, I guess, what is called um, an ontological argument that, that those in eternal functional subordination, which is not, I guess, an orthodox view. Um, I I use language that they use. And so that was brought to our attention. I had no idea I did it. I had no. I, this is where not knowing the language of an, a theological argument can get you in trouble. And I, I apparently I face planted it. So I apologize right up front. That was brought to our attention. I am going to be very very cautious about how I discuss that issue in the future when we're talking about roles and submission because it's, I don't understand the entire argument. And I said something based on my knowledge. Of scripture based on what I've heard here and there taught over the years and I likely imported something into my thinking that just was bad and so my apologies I wasn't trying to endorse uh, in any way shape or form trying to endorse uh, an unorthodox view but apparently I did and I'm very sorry about that so if you hear something that makes you perk your ears up please let us know just send us a message and please show grace 
as we said in you know about the uh, the uh, this issue coming up, show grace. To uh, you know, we are you know we're not trying to import heresy, false teaching, anything like that. <coughs> so if you hear me say something uh, that that makes you go, huh? Please, please, please. Voice of Reason Radio at gmail.com. Ask me what is what I was trying to get at. Uh, ask me if I, if if I knew I was endorsing something that was bad. Um, I I would like to know that. I I don't want to endorse bad stuff. And I I do have limited knowledge of all the theological issues out there. So that was brought to our attention. We are grateful, and uh, it that means people are being good Bereans, and uh, we encourage you to continue to do that. Don't accept it just because we said it. So, Rich, any last thoughts before we shut her down tonight? Yeah, I just will close like I normally do. Whatever you do this week, please try to make a point to share the gospel at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your time this week, folks. We uh, about 12 minutes over time, so you know, not quite a uh, an Uber or anything like that, but uh, you know, a little little beyond what we normally would do. Um, but thank you for your patience with us. Uh, you know, like I said, it is kind of fun to chase the squirrel once in a while. It wasn't a topic we intended to get on, but I hope you walk away, Rich, and I hope you walk away with the understanding that. There's a, a very important conversation coming up, and it, it would be wise to be knowledgeable of it, but be very cautious about wading into those waters because it can be ugly. And remember, there are people, yes, there are discussions that are going to come up, and there are anecdotal and experiential issues that are going to be used to, to justify certain thinkings. That does not mean that the people who have experienced those things aren't hurting, aren't frightened, aren't broken in some way. We can still minister to them even if we don't agree with the paradigm that's being brought up into the church at this point. So as Rich said, gospel. The gospel is what we need to be preaching and practicing every day. So whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God Defend truth, absolutely, but remember, Imago Dei, you are dealing with creations made in the image and likeness of God. Do so with grace, do so with maturity and wisdom, and if you can't do any of those, hush. Just don't. Please do not add fuel to the fire by being a jerk for Jesus. Please do not do it. We all have a temptation, and I struggle with it as much as anybody else. So thank you again for your time this week. Hopefully next week we will not chase another squirrel. We will actually get back to our topic at hand. But uh, we appreciate your time. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you next time.